listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Good morning, Vintage Church, and welcome to part three of a series that we are calling The Core, where for a few weeks we are revisiting the core priorities of our church, the things that have to remain important for us to continue to be the movement that God has called us to be. Today in part three, I am stepping off the platform and you get to hear from someone that I deeply respect and dearly love. And I know that the word that God has put on her heart is going to challenge you and stretch you. And I can't wait for you to hear her today. She is an amazing communicator. And I know you're going to be challenged and inspired. So please welcome one of the most amazing leaders in our church, Jasmine Denton. Hey. Well, hi. How's everybody doing? Good? Are you as good as I am? Because I feel really good this morning. Yeah. I am so excited to be able to share with you today. I'm so glad that Matt is on, and his family are on a well-earned vacation because it gives me the opportunity to speak to you today for more than three minutes and tell you a little bit more than just what's going on around Vintage Church. As Matt told you in the video, we are in part three of a series that we call Core. And this is just a time that we are revisiting, reminding ourselves, and even doing some new teaching, if you're new to Vintage, of what our core values are, what are our priorities. And it's really an honor to be able to speak to you about this because I have had the privilege of being part of Vintage Church from the very beginning, from the time that we sat in Matt and Ashley's living room in Greensboro, um, all the way until now. So I have gotten to see God's hand and the way that it has moved, that his hand has moved through this whole thing. Now, our core priorities, our core values aren't just some random things that we sat around and were like, huh, what would be a good thing for a church to do? What do we think is going to be the most fun or attract the most people? Instead, what we did was we looked intently at Scripture. We looked at the way that Jesus lived. We looked at the way that he loved. We looked at the early church. We looked at their beliefs, their behaviors, and even their pitfalls to inform us of what should be a church's core values. These core values that we're talking about, they shape everything that we do, every program that we have, every outreach event that we initiate, because it gives us an opportunity to exercise these values. Now, I don't work out, but some of you do. Um, (laughs) And you know that if you only work out once a week, it's probably not going to build a lot of muscle. It's not bad, and you should definitely do it at least, you know, once a week. But if we only practice or exercise these values when we are sitting here in our church or when the church offers us, you know, an opportunity to join a life group or an opportunity to give a meal to a family at Thanksgiving, then our muscle is going to be weak. Our influence and our reach is going to be extremely limited because the impact of our core values is so much greater when each individual carries them beyond the walls of Sunday morning church and out into the community. 
Sunday is a great time for us to be together. But the true test is when we walk outside of this room. That is when we can really see the difference in these values being part of who we are and not merely what we do. One of these core values, the one that we're going to spend time talking about today, is integrated community. Now, I am a teacher by trade, so we're going to spend a little bit of time doing some word study. Aren't you excited? It's summer school. So the word integrate is from the same word that where we get words like integrity and integral. And the word that it comes from, that it's derived from, is integer. Now, if you will recall back to your elementary, middle school days in math class, an integer is a whole number, not a fraction, but a whole. So the first part of this definition of integrated community is something that is whole, something that is complete. Now, this word integer comes from two words. The first word is in, and then the Latin, tangire. I know you want to say it. Go ahead. Say it, tangire. Oh, yeah. Doesn't that feel so good? <laughs> now, the word tangire means to touch. It's where we get our word tangible. So, the complete definition of integrate is being made whole by things being connected together. So the working definition that we are going to use for integrated community is all parts of the community are connected and touching to the point that it is complete and whole. And if we are to truly integrate, truly be whole, we have to bring our whole selves the good bits, the shiny pieces, and the busted and broken. We have to bring our whole self into the body to serve and stand alongside one another with a desire for our church community to be a reflection of the diversity of the community that we live in and all kinds of diversity, racial diversity, gender diversity, Age, culture, language, economic status, talent, abilities, experiences, desires. Because it is in this diverse, in diverse community that we are vibrant, that we are healthy, that we can be harmonious and work together toward true completion in Christ. Now, in the New Testament, we hear a lot from this guy named Paul. I think Matt shared last week some about him. But just... A refresher, Paul was a guy who for so long in his adult life, his, his job literally got paid to persecute the church, to kill the message of Jesus. And not just the message of Jesus, but the people who delivered the message of Jesus. And then God called him to start to build up what he had worked so hard to squash down. He took this call to heart, and he went around all of the Mediterranean area planting churches. So what he would do is he would go and he'd plant a church. He would teach about Jesus. People would come to know Jesus, and then he would leave 
to go share the gospel somewhere else. But he didn't forget about this other church. In fact, he kept in correspondence with them through letters, very lengthy letters, if I say so. And I do say so. Kept in touch with them through letters. The people in these cities would write to him and tell him about the issues that were going on in the church. And then Paul would respond with instructions for how to fix it. Now, he says to this church in Corinth, we have two, two letters um, that he wrote to the, the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, that you can find in the second half of the Bible. He says in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, he kind of smells a problem brewing. And he says, now I exhort you, brethren, listen up, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. So Paul had heard that there were starting to be divisions in the church at Corinth. And he takes the time to say, hey guys, no, 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 don't, don't be divided, don't be divided. Because he knows the greatest threat to community is division. Do any of you guys watch Animal Planet? Any, uh, yeah, right there. Anybody ever watch the Planet Earth series? If not, they're beautiful. They're on Netflix. You can go watch. You're welcome. (laughs) In these different shows, um, oftentimes you will see this gigantic herd of gazelles. Beautiful, majestic creatures just prancing along through the African plain and there's birds flying everywhere and the water's all shimmery and there's music playing and it's just your heart is at peace. And then the camera pans and here on the edges is this ferocious, muscular leopard. It's some cat. I don't know all the names. We'll call him a leopard. So this leopard, you're welcome. (laughs) This leopard sees this herd. Now I think, okay, he's one, one leopard and there's like a million of these gazelles. He's got a pretty good chance, right, of of nailing one of these. He's probably just going to jump into the middle and snatch one. I mean, that's what I would that's what I would do. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. But he knows, no, 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 that's not the smart thing because if I jump into the middle of that herd, I'm gonna get trampled. So instead, what we watch, and we don't wanna watch it because we know what's gonna happen, but we watch it anyway because we cannot tear our eyes away from it. This cat comes up and he starts to snarl and he starts to run fast and the gazelles pay attention. And what he does is he actually cuts through the middle of the herd, dividing it in half. He then circles back around and cuts through again. And he does it again and again and again until there are only one or two gazelles to the side that have been isolated from the herd. Now at this point, his chances are super good because this cat is stronger, faster, and smarter than this gazelle. So he's banking that he is going to get a very good supper that night. 
The same thing happens in this body. We become divided. We become separated from each other. And what is this thing that divides us? It's fear. Just like the gazelles are afraid and they start to divide, the same is true for us. Fear divides. It's a fear of differences. It's a fear that we're going to lose our individuality. It's a fear that you might be wrong because it's a lot easier to put up a wall and separate ourselves from things that might challenge the way that we think, the things that we know we are so right about this, as long as I don't look over there. Fear that I might have to change. I might separate myself from people who are different from me and stick around people who look like me, talk like me, and think like me so that I don't have to change because change just isn't. It's not fun. I'm afraid of what that might feel like. Maybe sometimes we're afraid that we're going to be taken advantage of because when we start to live in close community with other people, we might meet people who need us, who need our energy, who need our time, who need our resources, and we don't want to be taken advantage of, so we distance ourselves from anybody who might ask something of me. Maybe it's a fear of being seen. Maybe you don't want to be in close community because you don't want anybody to see you're ugly. And when you do live in close community, you will see each other's mess. But honestly, it's in times of seeing each other's mess that we find the greatest redemption and we form the strongest bonds. Maybe you're afraid you're going to get hurt. Maybe you're afraid that the contribution that you make won't even make a difference. They won't even know that I'm here. Maybe you're afraid that someone else's contribution is going to be greater than yours. And since you're not going to be the star, you don't want to be in it at all. Division most often excludes and blocks out those who are most vulnerable, those who have the greatest need, and it makes it easier for them to fall prey to the enemy. Now, Paul, he sees this going on in the church at, at Corinth, and he says, I know there's divisions going on, and then he goes on for like 12 chapters, and then he finally gets to the, the solution. I know. He's long-winded, if nothing. In chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he says this, starting in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members or parts, and all of the members of the body, though many, they are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit... We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. 
And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body. I love that Paul is emphasizing the intentionality behind this. God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be, I love these two words, and anywhere in Scripture, when you see two words together, so that, pay attention, because it's something that he's trying to get at. This is all happening so that, there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. The lie that Satan might want you to believe is that you're better off alone. You might be an arm, but he wants you to think that you're better off laying over there. That you can accomplish more by yourself. You can give more by yourself. You can do more by yourself. You can be more by yourself. But in this illustration of the body, thinking about an arm laying on the ground, well, an arm laying on the ground, I don't even know that you can call it an arm. Like, it's just nothing. It's just laying there. It's just flesh and bone until the arm is attached. So it's in this illustration of being part of the body. It's apparent that your significance is found not in what you can do, but in what you are part of. And we need to be in this body. And so often we divide ourselves and sometimes we exclude ourselves by choice. When we face adversity and things are going bad, a lot of times we want to retreat away from community and just, oh, I just, I can't deal with it all. But God's like, no, he points to community because he wants to remind us that we're not alone. When we're uncertain of our identity, our purpose, our calling, we want to go, um, let me just take a personality test and a spiritual gifts inventory. And, oh, there, that's who I am. God's like, no, 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 no. He points us back to community. He says, hey, it's in community that I'm going to show you where you fit. That's where you are going to find affirmation. That is where you are going to hear wisdom. Sometimes we're ashamed. We're embarrassed. We've messed up. Or maybe we've been hurt, and we want to just, we want to retreat. We don't want to be part of it. We don't want to see anybody. We don't want anybody to know. But God says, no, don't go over there in your shame. Don't go over there in your hurt. He points us back to community because that is where we find forgiveness and healing. When Lyle and I, right before we got married about 10 years ago, we sat in a chair in my living room and talked about all of our grand plans for the future. And one of the things we talked about was how many kids we wanted to have. Now, let me just sidebar here. Two people who are not married, who really haven't held down jobs for that long, 
shouldn't decide how many kids they're going to have because what's going on then does not compare to the reality that is children. So we sat there and we said, well, how many kids do you want to have? Well, how many do you want to have? Well, how many? Um, and Lyle's like, well, how many do you want to have? And I was like, oh, uh, like 10. And he was like, how about two? <laughs> and then he said, how about three? I said, okay, we're good. So we decided, because, you know, we have all the control of all the things, to have three kids. And I, was, I grew up in a big family, and I loved it because I had brothers and sisters always to play with, always to fight with, all the things. And I was never alone. And I wanted that for our kids. I wanted to have multiple children so that they wouldn't be alone. Now, this is not a knock to anybody who is an only child or who only has one child. That's fine. You do you. You're good. But from my perspective, I thought that we should have several kids because I wanted them to have each other. Well, we have five. No, we don't have five kids. We have three. Oh, gosh. Uh, (laughs) We have three kids. Judah, he's five. Ezra is three. And Ada is one. Now, our two oldest, they're boys. They fight a lot. And usually it starts out, they're just like playing ninja, and then somebody legit gets chopped in the throat, and then it just all goes down. It is how it happens. This is how it always happens. You start playing, and then it just escalates. Well, there was fighting and crying and all the things, and I said, separate. I can't. I can't do this right now. Y'all just separate. You just need some time away. So... I go in to check on Judah. He's in his room, laying on his bed, and he's just big tear crying. And I went and I sat on his bed and I pulled him up into my lap, which I will continue to do until his feet drag the floor. And he looked up at me with tears in his eyes and he said, Mommy, I just wish I didn't even have a brother. I was cut to the core because our whole grand plan was to have these kids so that they would have each other. And here my oldest one is telling me, I wish it didn't do that. And for a moment, I had a glimpse of God's fatherly love and desire for us to love one another for us to live with each other because he sees that we need each other. So if fear is that thing that divides us, what's the remedy? What is going to bring us together? Don't ask Captain Antoniel. No? Okay. (laughs) John the beloved disciple, he says this, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him, from Jesus. 
the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. So if fear is the thing that divides, love unites. Now, Paul, he's told the Corinthians, hey, you guys need to be united. You need to be one body, and that is all good, and it is all great, and you need to function, you need to cooperate. But it's, it's not enough. It's not the thing that I want for you. It's not the thing that's going to bring you unity. And he goes on to say this at the very end of that passage, 1 Corinthians 12, the end of verse 31, he says, and I show you a still more excellent way. If I speak with human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, if I give over my body in order to boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. What he's telling us here is we can do all the right things. We can check all the right boxes. But a lack of love will create a superficial and self-centered community. And here, superficial, I don't mean fake. I just mean shallow. I mean that, hey, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? life that we live so easily. It's the one that we can talk here for 20 minutes, but I'm not going to say another word to you until next Sunday. A superficial and self-centered community. It's a community of tasks and lists where we care more about programming and productivity and results than we care about people. That's why this integrated community, community thing isn't just us saying, okay, well, here in Randleman, there is this percentage of Hispanic people and this percentage of black people and this percentage of white people and this percentage of women and this percentage of men. And then when we get that in our church, tick, 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 we are integrated. That's superficial. We don't want an integrated community so that we can check off a list. We want an integrated community because we love people. So what does that look like? He keeps going. And he tells this, he gives us this passage that we always hear in weddings. And because we've heard it so frequently in weddings, we think that this only applies to men and women. But in context, Paul actually gives us these words in relation to how we should love each other. You know this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Guys, I stay at home with three kids. Love is patient. Love is kind. That's all, already that alone is a tall order. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Paul, in another letter to another group of people, written in the book of Colossians, he kind of gives the same picture. 
He says, so as those, this is, sorry, Colossians 3.12, if you're following along in your, in your Bible or your app. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on. Now, he's, it's actually the imagery of putting on, covering, like a coat. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. It's the thing that's going to hold it together. Because we know that an integrated community that is bound together by love will endure. And how do I know this? I know this because we're sitting here today. I know that an integrated community bound together in love endures because the church, the global church, has faced persecution, wars, governments, trying to stop this movement for centuries. And here we are today. So our aim, our goal, our desire is to be an integrated community that is bound together in love. Now, it's not easy to love all the time. It's not all fairies and rainbows and pelican snowballs. Coconut. I know. So he tells us in the book of Romans, still Paul talking here, he says this. He says, Romans 15:5. he says, now, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another. Hmm. Harmony does not sound easy with people who, with so often there's a lot of discord. According to Jesus Christ, here we go, so that, there's this word, so that you may glorify the God and Father of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, with one mind and one voice. Now, looking at that verse, there's two things that God gives us. It says he gives us endurance, which is the ability to withstand things even when it's hard. And encouragement, support, confidence, hope. So in order for us to live together in harmony, he's like, listen, I know this isn't going to be easy. But I'm going to give you endurance. I'm going to give you the ability to withstand this even when it's hard, even when it's uncomfortable, even when you're afraid. And through it all, I will encourage you because this is what I want from you. And because of all this, he goes into verse 7, therefore, accept one another. Just as Christ also accepted you to the glory of God. And when I think about that literally, accepting other people as Christ accepted me, I was 10 years old when I publicly declared my faith in Jesus. 10, a very spunky 10-year-old. But he didn't roll his eyes when he saw me coming. He wasn't annoyed by my immaturity or skeptical because of my age. And he didn't make me wait until I knew all the songs 
or till I had memorized the right scripture or given enough money to the church or until I joined the choir. Christ accepted me because he had been waiting for that moment for as long as he had known me. That's the way he accepted me. And he still is with me today because we have all the time in the world. And then after the world. So maybe when it comes to the way we accept people, let's look a little more like Jesus and the way that he accepted us. And think about that. How did he accept you? And is that the way that we accept others? Maybe when we accept people, we could do with a little less hustle and hurry and a little more lingering and listening. A little less judgment and a little more gentleness. A little less condemnation and a little more conversation. If we find these things difficult, if we find it's difficult to find the time to just sit and listen to somebody, I would challenge you that loving others is an issue of the soul, not of the schedule. Because the soul makes room for the things that we love. If we love people, we will make room for people. And this love thing was so important to Jesus. He wanted us to get this so right that he actually gave us a new commandment. He had already taught that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But he saw that something was lacking, and so he gave us a new commandment. I think he saw that love your neighbor as yourself, well... I don't always love myself very well. Sometimes I, I despise myself. Sometimes I abuse myself. I, give, I beat myself up for the things that we do. So if that's the way that I'm to love others, Jesus is like, that's not a very high standard. So he says this in John chapter 13, starting in verse 34. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Well, that certainly raised the standard. No longer is it just love your neighbor as yourself. No, love your neighbor as I have loved you. That love is so much more complete and perfect, and that should be your aim in the way that you love one another. By this, Verse 35, by this, by your love for one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He says, you got to love each other. You guys have got to get this right because that's how other people are going to know about me. They are going to look in at this love and it is going to be so irresistible, so contagious and intoxicating that they cannot help but to come close and say, hey, why do you guys do this? Why do you love each other that way? Why, do, why did you give away your car to that family? Why do you give all these Thanksgiving meals away? Why do you do these things? Why do you spend so much time together? And that's when we get to share our story and we get to say, we do this because Jesus first loved us. 
And because he has loved me so deeply and so completely that I cannot help but to love other people. Now, before Jesus died, or before he was arrested, sorry, before he was arrested, he took his disciples and he went into the garden to pray. And apparently John, his beloved disciple, was close enough to where he could actually overhear what Jesus was praying to God the Father. And Jesus prayed a prayer of surrender and acceptance of what was getting ready to happen. He prayed for his disciples, for the word that they would carry into the world. And then he prays for us. Every one of us sitting here in this room. He says this, John 17, starting in verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but those also who will believe in me through their word. That's us. We have believed because of the word that the disciples shared and has written down and recorded in the Bible. That they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me and I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. So that the world, so that, so that the world may know you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. That was one of Jesus' final requests that he asked of God the Father was for his church, his people, those who believed in him would be one just as he and the Father are one. And I would like to think that if that is something that Jesus asked for right before he gave his life for us, that God said, sure, absolutely. So I do believe that he has given us permission, that he has given us the power because he has given us the love that will bring our community together. So the question that I want you and me to wrestle with today is where does love need to work in order to move you deeper into community? What is that thing that is keeping you from stepping in? What is it that fear has wrecked that love needs to reconcile? Where is it that you're maintaining superficial actions or self-centered motives, but you're lacking in love? Like you're kind of, you're doing all the right things and you're checking the right boxes, but your, your heart's just not there. Who do you need to spend more time with? Who is it that you need to put down your phone for and look in the eye and have a conversation with? Amen. To whom do you need to extend more grace? 
need to reach out to? Who do you need to speak up for? Who do you need to invite back in? As we close out our time today, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song together. And it's, the song is just an invitation for the Lord to do his work in us. That we are offering ourselves to be open to the way that he leads and the way that he loves. So I'm going to pray, and then you can do with this time what you want. If you want to pray with somebody, pray with somebody. If you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. If you want to sing out, sing out. But let this time, don't hurry through this time. Don't rush out to go get your kid. Let this time be the few minutes that sets the tone for the week ahead, for the way that you are going to intentionally live in a loving, integrated community by loving the people around you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this great love that you have given us, that you have entrusted to us, that we might not just keep it in ourselves, but that we would use this love to love one another so that others may be so compelled by this love that they come to know you. God, we open up ourselves right now. We invite you to do work in us, to let love soften what fear has hardened, to invite back in what we have kept out. We are yours, Lord, and our greatest desire is that we and others would know you more deeply. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.